everyone. Today we're reading Luke 1, a long passage for the fourth Sunday of Advent, preparing for Emmanuel. This week, we get to hear from the expectant mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, and they expect a lot. I'm Alicia McClintock. And I'm Megan Pardew. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. This week, I'm reading the whole extended gospel reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 55, from the New International Version. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. Wow, Megan, we have so much to talk about in this in this passage. There's so much that is resonant and beautiful in this imagery, but also there's some like care that we need to take in bringing this word to our people. Do you want to maybe open us up with a with a pastoral guide? Yeah. So something I encourage all my student preachers, a question that I I really encourage them to ask with every sermon is what are the pastoral considerations with this particular scripture or this particular sermon? What are the pastoral considerations? So just to be very direct, some pastoral considerations that come up for me when I read about Mary and Elizabeth We have a a teenage mother. Um, We have an older mother. Um, And these two women carrying children, um, Mary, one that was unexpected, and Elizabeth, one that she longed for for a long time. So I'm thinking particularly of infertility. I'm thinking about infant loss. I'm thinking about women for whom... Pregnancy is a dream, one that may not come to fruition for whatever reason that might be. Um, Of course, infertility is one of those reasons, but just lack of partnership and um, 
what, whatever else or health reasons, you know, whatever those might be. Um, just, I would just want all of our, our preachers, our teachers, those who are going to be working with the scripture to just attend to that in your context, um, attend to those who might have had a miscarriage or who might be suffering from infertility, those who have dealt with infant loss, um, loss due to stillborn death or SIDS, or just even the loss of a child. Um, these are really tender, tender scriptures and images and ones that are so powerful. And we're going to get to that in just a moment, but just feels really important first to invite you to attend carefully to some of these dynamics in your congregation. Yes. Thank you so much for that word of pastoral wisdom to always be treating the text seriously and treating the pain points in our congregation seriously and noticing where um, the word of God for the people of God today is maybe bridging that gap. Um, and it demands some careful attention to these points of pain or of grief or of longing that we're holding. And, and this is one of the things that Advent feels so suited for. I'm, like all of yes. our preaching should be do, doing this all the time, but Advent in particular helps us acknowledge that we come with a mixed bag of feelings, right? That there, that there is this grief and this loss and this longing. Um, and also it gets mixed in with surprise and celebration and, and joy here. Um, to want to kind of hold all of that together, all yes. under this umbrella of the theme for this week, which we light the candle of love on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and that this is the this is the loving work of the pastor to hold the pain of your community and to point toward the the joy in the scripture and to to do all of this with loving care. Yes, absolutely. And on that note, Alicia, the, the first image that we have of love, as I see, is mm. the love between these two women. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about that. I love this image as well. I have an icon of Mary meets Elizabeth, like hanging um, in, in my office space, just because I love this image of companionship, of comfort on the journey, of cousins slash sisters. Um, it is a, a deep, a deep image of sisterhood as much as it is about motherhood here. Um, and I, I particularly love that. Uh, I, I've made some jokes before, I think on the podcast and certainly Megan to you amongst friends that this is the great baby boom among my friend group. Um, yeah. just this week I've met two new babies, one that was three weeks old and one that was three days old. <laughs> this is, this is just part of my life, kind of keeping company with, um, my dearest friends as they bring children into the world. Um, and I love, I love being a sister, a cousin, um, in that space to my friends, but also like a Tia, an auntie to these, <laughs> yes. to these, to these little ones. Right. Like, so it just, um, just my, my own personal communal life feels so deeply wrapped up in this image of Mary meets Elizabeth. There, there are several photos on my phone of me, like standing alongside my friends who are pregnant at the same time. And it just feels like, like such a joy to remember Mary and Elizabeth meeting each other and sharing this experience. Um, but it also has felt like such a gift for me as a, as a single woman and not a mother to be able to share that in sisterhood with, with my friends, right? Like I feel, I, I feel like via the 
the text for this week, I'm able to kind of hold a spiritual space um, alongside mm. of them. Yeah. So it's been lovely. really lovely. Should we look at her song? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Mary has some stuff to say. She does. She does. And I, I love that this is, this is not a lullaby. And yet (laughs) to think about the way that the work of Christ is later formed by the song, like this is not a song that she sung one time, but Mm. this would be a song that she, right. Continuing in the tradition um, of her mothers and her people to imagine like the way that the theology that she's working out here in the song is like our are things that Jesus in his life is going to live into. Like this is, this is not a lullaby. This is a song that forms and shapes a people, a community, a Messiah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, yes, I love this image of Mary's song. This like really, um, yeah, this, I love that you use the word formation, this really forming um, piece of prophecy. I love this image with um, another note that we get about Mary at the very end of chapter two. The scripture reminds us that Mary, Jesus's mother, treasured all these things in her heart. And I love this image of her as both like a contemplative and an activist, right? Like mm. that that really speaks speaks to me as someone who who seeks a companion on that journey, right? To hold this contemplative space to treasure things in her heart, right? To marvel at the mystery and the wonder, right? But then also to speak some really concrete things to some really concrete systems that that these things kind of work in tandem together, right? That she she has this this contemplative treasury in her own heart and mind in her inner life. And it, and it gets expressed in some really tangible and powerful ways um, that has like deep impact in her community and in, in her world, right? Like, like we can fast forward to the end of Jesus's life on, on the cross, right? And who's there, his mother, right? Mm. Who has, who has, I mean, I think inspired the like several of the other women who have followed Jesus to keep company right. and stay with him all the way to the end. Right. Um, that, that, that doesn't, that, that doesn't come from nowhere. Right. That comes from a deep spiritual well. Right. Yes. As you're, as you're pointing to the cross, we have, I mean, 52, he's pulled down the powerful from their thrones. We yes. have this literal, like lifting up the low, the lowly. Mm-hmm. So this, even, um, this moment that prefigures the cross and mm-hmm. the way in which, um, I mean, what is more, uh, what a more subversive thing than to, for the very system of execution, the right, the Roman system of execution, this cross, this to be the thing that is the thing that we're invited to take up, um, take up your cross and follow me, right? That later this, this lifting up of the lowly um, in this, of course, like in a, in an undine, Mary would have never chosen. Um, We see God showing death who the real fool is. Yes, exactly. Yes in this ending that Mary would never have chosen, but she somehow 
understands like, like yes. that, that, that somehow wow. from, from the very beginning, she's got a sense like God is doing something in the world and like it's happening through this baby, but it's also happening through like powers and principalities being brought down, lowly being lifted up, um, uh, mercy and compassion. Um, the, the, the great equalizing that God is doing amongst the rich and the poor. Um, yeah, that, that somehow Mary would never have chosen this for her child. I, I, I cannot imagine. I just could never imagine that any parent would choose for their child to die. Um, and certainly not in such a brutal way or in state sanctioned or the violence. Hands of the state. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and, and yet like, it, it just seems like, like Mary is so specifically chosen by God because she has a sense that God is up to something good, right? Mm-hmm. Showing death who the real fool is. I love that, Megan. I love that. Well, Alicia, I would love to talk about this song as a language that many have used before me, um, as the song of the revolution. Yes. <laughs> and it, it strikes me. Um, I, I have young children. I have a, a child who's seven and a child who's four. Um, it strikes me that in the way our culture has formed me as a mother, revolution is not like the first word that comes to mind. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, love your child, protect your child. Um, you know, join the revolution with your child. Uh, not so much. Right. Um, or like send your child <laughs> off to be fodder for the revolution. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, and I feel like it's so important for us as we read today to really attend to the ways in which the song is so radical, as you've said, um, that it is the song of the revolution. And really in contrast, it's, you know, it's not the same kind of song of mothering that many of us are formed to carry. Um, We have a poem today. Yes. That really exposes (laughs) the absurdity of, uh, much of the mothering experience, at least in, um, the USA, Canada kind of context. Alicia, would you tell us a little bit about the poet, um, or how you came across this poem and then read it for us? Yes. Um, I found, uh, I found this poem, um, recently, uh, through, um, I was surprised to see this poet's name, Katie Manning, pop up in my podcast player. I subscribed to the podcast um, Poetry Unbound from On Being, uh, and I was so surprised to see Katie Manning's name pop up in my podcast player for her poem, What to Expect. Um, I knew Katie Manning when I was a student at Point Loma Nazarene University, where she had just joined our um, literature uh, department. And um, I just find this poem so compelling and especially like really lovely to me, again, as an outsider to the world of pregnancy, uh, to kind of join in these 
wonderings about uh, what to expect when you're expecting, which is a title of a really popular um, book in, yeah, in the, um, in the world of preparing for parents, what to expect when you're expecting, right? <laughs> yes. A frequent baby shower gift. <laughs> a frequent baby shower gift. Yes. So, uh, so the poet Katie Manning, uh, takes the, it's, this is her version of a sort of acrostic poem. It's taken from the index of what to expect when you're expecting, like the, the alphabetized index. Um, and she, uh, uses it as fodder for a poem to talk about all of the expectations that come when you are expecting. So I will read this poem, What to Expect by Katie Manning, a poem made of items found in the index of the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Expect accidents, expect acne, additives, age, and airbags. Expect alcohol, allergies, and altitude. Expect analgesics. Expect animals, ankles, and antidepressants. Expect autopsy findings. Expect bathing, bending, botanicals, and breaking news. Expect bruises. Expect cabbage leaves. Expect castor oil and cats. Expect cell phones, chemicals, chlamydia, and clay. Expect cleaning products, cocaine, and cold weather. Expect computer monitors. Expect copper, costs, and coughing exercises. Expect dance workouts and death. Expect diving, Doppler, driving, and dromedary droop. Expect embarrassment. Expect electric blankets and equal employment. Expect eyes and facials. Expect failure, fantasies, fast food, and feet. Expect fig bars, fingernails, fish, flying, football, and freckles. Expect fruit juice. Expect gardening. Expect German measles, grains, grief, and guns. Expect hair. Expect heat lamps and hiccups. Expect hiking, horseback riding, hot tubs, and hot weather. Expect hypnosis. Expect ice skating, insect repellent, and itching. Expect jet lag and jogging. Expect kickboxing. Expect KY jelly. Expect lacerations and laser eye surgery. Expect leave exposure and love making. Expect manicures, marijuana, masks, and meat. Expect medication, milk aversion, and moles. Expect mosquito bites and music. Expect nasal strips. Expect nicotine patches, noise, and NutraSweet. Expect online drug shopping. Expect optimism. Expect organ donation and organic produce. Expect outside influences. Expect paint fumes, pasteurization, peanuts, pesticides, and pets. Expect pins and needles. Expect raspberry leaf tea. Expect red palms, reduction, religious belief, and rest. Expect ribs, ripening, and risk. Expect rowing machines. Expect saddle block. Expect safety, saliva, and salt. Expect scalp stimulation and scuba diving. Expect seatbelts, sex, and shoes. Expect skiing and skin sampling. Expect smells. Expect softball stockings and stomach bug. Expect sugar, sunblock, and sushi. Expect tai chi, tears, tea, and kicks. Expect Toes, touching, train travel. Expect vaporizers, vegetables, and vision. Expect warts and water, workouts and witch hazel. Expect x-rays. Expect yoga and zinc. Whoo! <laughs> it, it's just this like absurd explosion of everything. Literally everything. 
if you are feeling overwhelmed, you should be. Uh, because this is outrageous. And this is what is so brilliant about this poem. I, you know, perhaps you're wondering why, why do they take the time to read this long poem? It's to <laughs> hopefully foster in like our listeners. Like if you feel overwhelmed, like this is the story about pregnancy and expecting that we're putting on women and our culture. Mm-hmm. And in contrast to that, we have, he has looked upon me with favor. He has shown strength of his arm. He had scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud hearts. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Mm-hmm. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Folks, less expectations on our new mothers and more revolution. Like yes, we and could let go of so much of the garbage mm-hmm. to just make space for like what it is that's happening with Mary's body, with her song, with the conceiving, bearing, naming work that she still gets to do even though she's been overshadowed by the spirit or in spite of the fact, or because of the fact that she's been overshadowed by the spirit, like her work, conceiving, bearing, naming, singing the songs of the revolution. Like this is the sermon that I want to hear on this Sunday that we talk about love. Yes. Yes. I do too. Me too. This is, this is where I want us to be. Um, I want more revolution, less expectations. (laughs) I want, um, uh, I feel like last week is a great bridge where we talked about the connection between joy and freedom, right? That this Mm. is, this is a celebratory moment in the season of Advent when we're celebrating God's abundant good work, God's justice rolling down like rivers, like God doing the thing that God has promised. Um, and that joy is coming from freedom. And I think some of the questions that we need to ask are like, where do we need to be free from these ridiculous expectations, these overwhelming burdens, especially on the bodies of women who are the ones now, both Mary and Elizabeth carrying these promised child like the, like each of them carrying a promised child into the world. Right. And, and Mary and Elizabeth can do their own emotional work to set themselves free of these expectations. But you and I know, like Mm -hmm. it is not, it is not on them. Right. To tear down, to get us back to Advent week two, like to tear down the mountain, to smooth out the roads. Like we as young mothers can do our work to reject these stories that our lives are about expectations and not about revolution, not about God's work, but ultimately it's about, right. The other people and the systems, right. That are putting, that are loading this burden onto women, um, in, you know, in ways that are so incredibly problematic and detrimental and really stopping that song from being sung. Right. 
right? Unless you think like, oh, this is just women's work. <laughs> um, right. I remind you that this burden of expectation then gets placed onto Jesus, the Messiah and John, the baptizer, right? That they they each then carry their own massive burden of external expectations based on who the people think that they're supposed to be, what sort of king Jesus is meant to be, what quality of revolution is coming and how that's going to be worked out and timing like there there are mountains of expectations keep not just on the women from our story but on these children who will grow up to be men prophets leaders in their community that that there that there is this untangling of expectations that i think is is really important as we're also expecting the Messiah. And I'm really appreciating the way that, again, this poem offers us a window to say, like, we're expecting and anticipating the Messiah, but what sort of expectations are we placing on people, mm. on on the women who are, who are on the women, Mary and Elizabeth in our story, who are carrying these children into the world, um, but also onto the children themselves, what sort of expectations are we, are we heaping on them? And are they God's expectations? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of these kinds of expectations and weights that we're carrying, like the, you know, the list is in, in many ways, I I think it's an experience, a lot of, a lot of women share. Um, but I would be remiss to not also name, like even the power dynamic there. Um, when we're thinking about the weight that women carry famously, Zora Neale Hurston says that black women are the mules of the earth, right? There's, there's ways in which we're putting weights and expectations on other women's bodies, um, Mm -hmm. that I, that I don't even understand and also have to name as another, another way in which God is desiring, right. To, to pull down the powerful and, and lift up the lowly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. There, yeah, there, there are so many heavy burdens of expectations that we believe God is lifting, that God is freeing us from as God is remaking the world, um, as God is inaugurating this reign of light and love and peace and justice, starting through the bodies of these women and the children that they're carrying. And then they meet each other then, I, I love this, uh, w- with a loud voice, she blurted out. God has yes. blessed you, right? There's this kind of the the freedom that you've named, like the joy. It's it's a it's a blurting out, it's a bursting out, it's an overflowing um joy. And and Mary's response then is to sing. Yeah, to sing. The I song would, of the revolution. Would, yes, the song of the revolution. Um, for those of our listeners who are preachers, I would so encourage you to look to the work of Dr. Jerusha Neal, who's just recently published a book about preaching called The Overshadowed Preacher. And she uses mm-hmm. this moment um, of the spirit overshadowing Mary and Mary's agency to really describe with such um, beauty and nuance the work that happens for the preacher in the preaching moment. I can't recommend it enough. Um, as a way to take this, this metaphor further and see the ways in which we as preachers both conceive, bear, and name the word of God. That's wonderful. I cannot wait to check that out.
We'll be right back after a quick break to hear a lovely Advent prayer. Stick around for our thoughts on preaching and applying the text and a few more reflection questions. Megan will read an Advent prayer from the Cory Mila community. God of Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard news of joy, she celebrated, not because she was part of an important story, but because a kind story had wrapped itself around her and the disgrace she had endured was lightened. Lighten the places of our disgraces, lighten them, wrap yourself and your story around us because you can be the great story that surrounds us. What is sitting with you, Alicia? What are some concrete questions that you have that you would encourage our listeners to be asking themselves or maybe questions that might enter into their sermon or discussion around this passage? Yeah. Wow. I mean, Mary and Elizabeth just feel like such a rich uh, pair. Like there is so much that's happening in Mary's story. There's so much that's happening in Elizabeth's story. Plus then it all culminates in this beautiful prophetic revolutionary song. Um, And there are so many ways that we could approach this, but really I think the most salient part for me is I just want to keep company with Mary. She just Mm. continues to feel like such a revolutionary and inspiring figure to me as she has said yes to God's call in her life, as she's beginning to like contemplate God's work in the world in a way that's opening up this, again, radical revolutionary perspective, knowing that, knowing what we do now, that she's going to journey with her son to his death at the hands of the state in a really brutal Mm. and and graphic way. Um, And yet like from the very beginning, she has a sense like God is doing something that is making the world new. Um, And I, I think I want to keep company with her and her posture during, during this season of Advent. I love that so much. Keeping company with Mary There's this sonnet that it reminds me of from Malcolm Guit. Um, I would encourage our listeners, we'll put it in the show notes to look it up. It's called The Visitation. He has a couple lines that feel so fresh each time I return to them. He says, and Mary stands with all we call too young, Elizabeth with all called past their prime. They sing today for the great unsung women who turned eternity to time, favored of heaven, outcast on earth, prophets who bring the best in us to birth. So the the question that I'm coming to now that really comes from the sonnet is who, who is singing Mary's song? Who is singing this song of the revolution, crying out 
for, you know, the, the God who fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich mm-hmm. away empty, who scatters, you know, the thoughts of the proud, mm-hmm. who, who are, who is singing these songs already? Oh my gosh. I can't, I can't hear that question and, um, and not just think that it's all the mothers who have lost their children to violence, um, violence at the hands of the state, violence at the hands of, um, guns, um, of wars, of all sorts of ways that mothers have tragically and unjustly lost children. Um, I think they are yelling Mary's song. Yes. I think. Yes, we're recording today. Uh, just this week, we had the Oxford High School shooting in Michigan, where as of now, four children have lost their lives. Mm-hmm. We are passing the tragic, unspeakable anniversary again of the Sandy Hook massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I dropped my daughter off today and just like you hug your kid more tightly as they like walk into the school building. Um, after one of these events like hits your newsfeed, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is possible. This kind of violence is possible. And I walked, you know, I watched her walk into the building and then I walked away and I felt just this overwhelming sense of the risk that it is to love um, yeah. and to send our children into the world. And, and then a short time later, just thought of like the ways in which if I'm not careful, like it takes a national school shooting for me to feel for a second, for like a heartbeat, for one longer goodbye at school, Mm. the experience of so many black and brown mothers Mm -hmm. in the U S who have hugged their their sons in particular, goodbye, and lived with this overwhelming fear Mm -hmm. um, that they can't control, right? Their safety. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is this, this wake up call, this like deep grief that we feel in the wake of these national tragedies. Um, but it also rings the gong of how long, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord, yeah. <laughs> how long, again, how long, oh Lord, until things are made right, until um, this violence is eliminated and erased, until, um, until there, is, there is justice and peace and wholeness for for our communities, it's just devastating. And I, I think in, in particular scriptures offer us a way to like speak honestly about this pain and this grief. And I think like, and I think Mary is our doorway into mm. to have like really honest and direct conversations about, um, yeah, this, this longing for God to put it right, <laughs> fix it, Jesus. Um, yes. 
yeah. And, but, but we can't, I, I don't think we can faithfully come to Mary's song with this very particular prophetic cry if we're not specifically naming these places of violence, these places of fear, these places of injustice, these places of anger. Um, I think if we're going to, to see who is singing Mary's song, we have to also be paying attention to what Mary is speaking against um, so that we can then point to the way like God is making all things new um, and God is inviting us into, into this like new birth, new creation to, I don't know if that makes sense or resonates with you. Well, (laughs) what is it that's being born? What is it that God Mm -hmm. is birthing as we hear this song? And it strikes me in such contrast. I mean, we, we noted the contrast earlier with the poem between expectation and revolution, but Mm -hmm. I wonder if part of the, part of the transformation, part of what's being birthed is is that it's not my child, right? Like those, what to expect when you're expecting is like this individual, (laughs) these are instructions, right? I mean, I'm not talking to other people about, you know, a lot of, a lot of the things on the list, the, the cabbage leaves maybe, or the raspberry leaf tea, but you know, I'm not talking with other people about some of the other things. So it's, it's like a shift from what we expect when we're expecting this List laundry list of these kind of individual insular experiences of parenting. What if what God is birthing in the song of the revolution is like that my kid's life matters just like your kid's life, and that like it's oove reshaping, reimagining how it is that we understand parenting and raising children and living in communities that shape and form young people. Um, Some of the revolution that seems like happens in that, right? In this opening up of ourselves to like, my kid is not the only one who deserves to go to elementary school and feel safe, right? There's not this is like a reasonable expectation that this valley filling change that Mary sings about so directly. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I love that so much. Um, this, the shift between the individual toward the communal. Um, and, and again, I, th- I think Mary is our model here um, as Mary and Elizabeth uh, connect together and they're both expecting these world changing children. Um, and, and just to, to think about the ways that they are not just, um, expecting individual babies, but also expecting great change in the world. There's so much we could continue to talk about. Um, we our conversation has ranged from expectant mothers to uh, grieving mothers to um, revolution over expectation. Are there any parting thoughts or or final kinds of reflection questions, Megan, that are lingering with you? 
I mean, sing the song of the revolution, not the song of expectations. That is what I want our listeners to take with them this week. And I'll be doing my best to sing it too. Yes. And amen. Me too. Well, I think that's all the time that we have for today. So I'll remind our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week, as well as discipleship resources and resources for music, all kinds of other things on the Aplan account website. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. Connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. It really helps to get the word out. Special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week for the first Sunday of Christmas Tide, welcoming the world. We'll see you then.